This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. People are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Welcome to the BBNR Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia Riley Cook. And I'm your host, Dora Bush Cook. Welcome back to Health Gig. This week, we're bringing you part two of our amazing conversation with President George W. Bush. The conversation between Doro and President Bush took place early in 2018. Mrs. Bush left her family and all of us on April 17, 2018. You will hear in this conversation that both Doro and President Bush, like many of us with aging parents, are thinking about the future loss of those they love and the impact parents have had on our lives. But you love your life now, too. I do love my life now. Which is which is a little different pace. Which is awesome. Um, let's take a minute to can we talk about mom and dad and sure. You and I, I mean, I think are so lucky. Yeah. How many presidents had living parents, of which one was also a president? <laughs> None. None. Here's a here's a more interesting question. How many presidents have had living parents after the presidency? Yeah. Me. Yeah. Nobody else. You're the only guy. Yeah. And so there's been two of us, John Kennedy, for a brief moment, had both parents alive during the presidency. Mm -hmm. And I had both parents alive during the presidency, which was incredibly helpful and nurturing. You know, dad, there's a lot of speculation about my relationship with dad during the presidency. But, uh, you know, the most meaningful part of the relationship is when he'd call and say, son, I'm very proud of you Mm -hmm. or I love you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for a while, he didn't say that. It was just like he was of that era where men didn't kind of profess love. But over time, he began to say it a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it really mattered to me. So after big speeches, there'd always be, I'd be in a limo riding back to the White House, and mm-hmm. the White House switchboard operator said, your father? And Dad would say, oh, son, I just can't tell you how proud. He got a great speech. Then occasionally he'd slip into, but the critics, and I said, Dad, I don't want to hear about the critics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he paid close attention to all the critics. So when he was president, I paid close attention to right. the critics. And when I became president, he paid close attention. because, And it turns out it's much harder to be the son and or father of a president than it is to be the president. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you're focused as president on your job. and. Yeah. The, and you don't really, you know, there's going to be criticism. You accept the criticism. Some of it unbelievably unfair. Some of it valid. But you don't let it, you know, you don't let it affect your your mood. First of all, the American people watch a president very carefully. And if the president is upset, if the president has self-pity, mm-hmm. then it, it, those aren't good leadership traits. Right. Speaking of leadership traits, what would you say are some of the I think one of the most important best. ones, well, one is humility. Mm-hmm. to know what you don't know, recognize you don't know, and find people who do and listen to them. Mm-hmm. I think another one is to uh, have vision. In other words, people want to follow somebody with a vision, and mm-hmm. that vision has to be informed by principles. Mm-hmm. It's important to have a culture, particularly as president, where it's not based upon an individual, the culture. The culture is based upon service to you know, the country. I think good leaders are people that can laugh. Mm-hmm. Not in a mean way, but in a way that kind of adds levity. And good leaders are people who share credit and take blame. Mm-hmm. 
And maybe laugh at yourself. Yeah, you got to laugh at yourself. I mean, the best humor, particularly when you're president, is to make fun of yourself. And I was quite capable of that. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I gave myself plenty of material to work with. (laughs) (laughs) What's the funny story about, what's the guy's name from Saturday Night? Lauren Lauren. Yeah, Lauren Michaels. So Lauren Michaels came down to the uh, Bush Center. And it was a, a session on humor and politics. Yeah. And, of course, Saturday Night Live is the classic humor and politics. And over dinner, he told me that he had a very creative speechwriter who came up with strategy. And so they started, you, the guy playing me kept saying strategy. And I said, wait a minute, you didn't invent strategy. I said strategy. <laughs> and he said, no, you never said it. I said, wait a minute, you telling me for 16 years, I thought I said strategy. <laughs> And you invented it? He said, that's what I'm telling you. I said, well, let me ask you this. Did your man come up with misunderestimate? <laughs> that's so funny. So so back to mom and dad. And I wrote a book about dad called My Father, My President. But it's a you, darn good one, I might Thank add. you. Um, but you wrote a book called 41. Yeah. What was that like? And was dad um, able, did you work with dad on it or did you? Not really. No, because he was. Yeah, he was kind of getting up there. And I put some anecdotes in there about, uh, you know, when he jumped out of the airplane and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. not really. The idea came to me from David McCullough's daughter. Hmm. Dory? Yeah, Dory, who mm-hmm. said, uh, my dad, when he was researching the book on John Adams wished that he had read John Q. Adams' thoughts about his father. And I said, mm-hmm. you know what? That's a good idea. So I did. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful book. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. All children have unique relationships with their parents. And so I'm the youngest. And Yeah, they loved our, you more than me. Kind of. But mom and dad were very busy when I was growing up. And so I really cherished the quality time with them. But mm-hmm. I, as a result, I think I'm a little bit of a homebody and I love being around my family. How would you characterize your relationship with mom and dad and how that sort well, of Well, uh, unlike you, I was, I was an experiment. <laughs> you were number one. <laughs> they had never had any children before, and so they were trying to figure out how to be a parent. As mother one time told me, the way the reason you turned out the way you did is because when I was pregnant uh, with you, I smoked and drank. <laughs> and so it was uh, my childhood was disrupted by the death of uh, your sister and my sister mm-hmm. Robin, which you know was a, when I look back at it, it was it was sad, but not all that highly emotional because mother and dad shielded me. Yeah. I think that my relationship with mother was very unique in that after Robin died, she kind of clung to me as a child that she could cling to. Right. <laughs> and even though Jeb was small, but he was he was a toddler and I was like six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. And so it created an interesting bond that enabled us to develop a very unique relationship. Interestingly enough, I probably am as much like her as I am dad and mm-hmm. therefore Occasionally would clash with her. (laughs) (laughs) Occasionally. Yeah. But part of my problem is I would love to needle mother to get a rise out of her. And it turns out it was quite easy to do. And so I I learned to dial that back. What was the story where um, (laughs) mom, she could. Oh, yeah. So Mike Proctor came over and I still in touch with Proctor, by the way, our neighbor on Ohio Street in Mm -hmm. Midland. And Proctor came over and said, he came to the door and said, come out and play. And I said, I can't. I got to be, a, I got to play with my mother. And uh, mother heard that and realized that 
you know, she was kind of smothering me at that point in time and basically booted me out to hang out with my friends. Right. And then the other funny story about you and mom was when, I think it was when Neil was born. Or was it Jeb? No, 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 no. Marv, who was it? I can't remember. When you went to the hospital and mom, oh no, not nobody was born. It was when <laughs> it was when mom had a miscarriage. Yeah. Tell that story. Well, mom had a miscarriage. I was you could drive in Texas in those days at age 14. I think I was home for the summer or something. She said you got to drive me to the hospital. She called me Georgie. Georgie, you got to drive to the hospital. And but be very careful. And so I'm driving her <laughs> out to the <laughs> hospital and she has got uh, some placenta or whatever it is in a jar. Oh. And uh, it was a little traumatic for a teenage boy. Anyway, I, I was steering this car, you know, from our house to the hospital, which pretty long drive. Anyway, we got there and, you know, I'm dad's out of town. And so I'm there like <laughs> pacing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. some old woman says, don't worry, your wife's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was, uh, um, yeah, it was kind of a maturing experience. <laughs> yeah, I would say. Well, I mean, I, I do know about you and mom butting heads because I remember one time um, we were in mom and dad's bedroom in Kenny Bunkport and... <laughs> Um, which is where we gather, weirdly. Um, we used to gather there a lot. And I remember you plopped down on the couch and you put, you know, put your feet on the coffee table. And mom goes, I don't care whether you're president or not. Get your feet off the coffee yeah. table. Yeah, she loved to use me as a foil. Yeah. We've got a very close relationship and a very loving relationship. Yes. Man, it's fun. Dad and I have got a very close relationship. It is, but it's no more close than any of his children, you know. know. There's just different. We're different people, and therefore we have different. We relate to our parents in different ways. It's all, however, based upon unconditional love. True. You and I are dealing with what everybody at some point in their life deals with, and that's aging parents. Mom Mm -hmm. is ninety-two, Dad's ninety-three, and I remember when Dad started losing his balance when he had Parkinson's. First had Parkinson's, and he would start to lose his balance and sort of almost fall over and. I remember it made me feel scared. I remember talking to you about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how that made you feel. And Well, it, it, look, there is, a, there is no life without death. And, uh, right. And there's inevitability to it. And so the way I tend to look at it, it, it's instructive to watch Dad age because he's aged joyfully. Yeah. Which is a wonderful lesson to pass on. It's no complaining. Never. Uh, no feeling sorry for himself. No. Nope. So it's unbelievably instructive to watch, you know, him. I've tried to speak to him about death, and uh, he wasn't interested in talking about it, about whether he feared death or not. A mother is quite open about it to me, at least, and says she doesn't fear death, looks forward to it at some point in time. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of just a reminder of the realities of life. We're very fortunate, however, in that death has come later rather than sooner. Mm-hmm. And so I look at it as a every day as a blessing. Yeah. And mom and dad, we are lucky because they have this uncanny ability to bounce back after they've yeah. had some setback or something. Mm-hmm. And the perfect example of that was the Super Bowl yeah. last year. Yeah. And dad had been in the hospital and he said, and this is an, another 
lesson too about setting goals. He set a goal for himself. You know, he wanted to be out by the Super Bowl, and sure enough, there he was. There he it's a was. A huge moment. One of the uh, I took the girls to see Dad in the hospital on our way to Florida like three years ago. Oh, I remember. And uh, I told Dad, I said, Dad, my library's opening in April, and I sure hope you're there. And he said, I'll be there. Now, this is a guy who I was pretty confident was on his way to eternity and to the point where I had called his chief of staff and got her to put out all the details and stuff like that, you know, and we carried a funeral suit to Florida thinking that we'd have to, you know, go to his funeral. So when we opened the library, uh, there he was sitting right next to me and he, and they asked him to speak and he like gave a 30 second speech and he said, how was that? I said, Perfect. And it was a perfect moment. It was. It was. What I remember about your visit to um, the hospital was I remember you calling me and saying, look, whatever you do, don't be crying in front of dad. (laughs) Do not be crying. So I was as strong as I've ever been because you were instructing me on what not to do. (laughs) And I remember you went in, you and the girls and Laura went in to see dad and you came out Balling, balling. <laughs> well, and I was know, like, hey, what happened? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what happened. So Jenna's pregnant and dad's lying there in the bed. First of all, I see you and it's you know, uh, kind of a tough place. And uh, he was there and he was very weak and his voice was incredibly weak. Mm-hmm. And so Barbara and Jenna were rubbing on his head and dad leaned over and rubbed Jenna's stomach. He said, there's death and then there's the beauty of life, Aww. which was a tearjerker. So sweet. Yeah. So back to your life now. Okay. Uh-huh. Cheerio um, note. Yeah, cheerio note. Um, you reached the pinnacle of your career as president, um, and you were solving some of the um, world's biggest problems. Then one day it was over. Yeah. So how did that feel? Well, I had mentioned earlier that I was fortunate to be a two-term president, so I knew exactly when I was going to leave. Mm-hmm. And frankly, we were looking forward to a new chapter. Mm-hmm. Presume some president wished the presidency never ended, and therefore when they leave, it's a little, you know, it can be hard. When we left, it was uh, ready to go on. And there were some unknowns in our life, you know, like what was life going to be like? How would I stay busy? Laura went down and bought a house in Dallas I had never seen. Mm -hmm. It's called a faith-based initiative. And, uh, (laughs) And so there was a lot of anticipation. Now, the good news for us is that we had a place, our ranch in Crawford, that we really wanted to go to, you know, yeah. that, that we're comfortable with. And there was no doubt we were going back to Texas. And so it wasn't all that hard. Right. Now, the adjustment was <laughs> different. And because what you you wake up one morning, the next morning, and you have no sense of responsibility. Mm. And for eight years, your body has become and your being has become somewhat accustomed to the, a lot of responsibility. And then you wake up and there's none. Right. And so it's kind of an eerie feeling. In my case, I'm a project-oriented person. And so I started started writing a book Mm -hmm. called Decision Points. Right. Mm -hmm. A very fine book, I might Mm -hmm. add. I appreciate that. It sold a lot of copies. Mm -hmm. That's good. So what did you, before you started writing the book, or did you start writing the book the very next day? Very next day. Oh, that was good. That's amazing. You mentioned the ranch, (coughs) and before we... Leave the ranch. I just wanted to say, is that the place where you find the most peace? Uh, yeah, it is. It's a, a beautiful piece of property. I love to mountain bike, mm-hmm. and I've got fabulous mountain bike trails there. I've got 
people from Dallas come down and ride all the time. There's always people around mm-hmm. riding bikes, which is very fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's quiet mm-hmm. and peaceful, and it's it's owning a piece of property that you care for is uh, can be very peaceful, relaxing. You do some cool things, like you have a tree farm. Uh, sell trees, and we're getting you know we're beginning to move some. Laura has restored a lot of the prairie. Some of the prairie to native grasses, which mm-hmm. is an important project for. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the spring, the flowers are just spectacular. Yeah. And so it's a beautiful place. We're entertaining a lot. We've got our friends who come over. The Weeses from Lubbock are mm-hmm. people from Dallas and mm-hmm. people from Austin. So it's a wonderful place. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doral. Be well.